Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Very good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is Harnessing Conflict for Organizational Benefit. And our guests for today's show are Bryson Kohler, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer with the Weather Channel. Good morning, Bryson. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much. Glad to be here and looking forward to our great topics that you've got lined up for us today. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to it as well. We also have Pat Shire, Patrick Shire, who's the Director of Enterprise Technology for the State of Alaska. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Good morning. Fabulous. Thank you. Great. And finally, we have uh, Professor Michelle Gelfand, who's the, uh, from the Department of Psychology at University of Maryland College Park. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Great to be here. Great. So I just would love to know that how many conflicts did you address in the last one week? And I will start with you, Bryson. Oh, wow. I, how many? Can we just go through how many I've, I've dealt with so far this morning? Oh, this week. This week, no. Um, so we've it, there's constant, constant conversations around how you look through all of your teams and, and, and everything that's hitting us. It's, I, our job is to manage conflict, so I don't even I couldn't count. I couldn't give you a number. Okay, so that kind of tells how important this topic is and the fact that we have to address it so that everybody, whether they are in a family situation or in a social group or in a personal relationship, they deal with conflict. We are here to discuss about its impact on the actual business. So, Bryson, if, whether we, we can perhaps not inventory how many conflicts you had in a week, but can you qualify uh, how much impact does it have on how an organization runs? I think conflict can be one of the uh, the biggest single uh, impacts to an organization, and that could be either positive or negative. Um, so conflict really, if, if used appropriately, has the opportunity to, to create a, a really, really positive force within an organization. And if conflict isn't managed, it could really be a complete detriment to the organization. So... At the end of the day, when you're putting a lot of smart people together, which is really what a business or an organization or a corporation is supposed to do, is to put a lot of smart people together to do a lot of great stuff, you're going to, just by its nature, uh, instill conflict. I mean, just as any good you know, sports team would have, um, you know, uh, when you have conflict in the locker room around who gets to play and what, what position and who gets to you know, do what, um, what role for that game, 
um, you've got the same thing that goes on in a corporation, but it's how you play out on the field and how you can channel that conflict towards positive that really will turn, I think, you know, you know, a mediocre organization into a world-class organization. So, Pat, in your world, when you go about uh, running your business and leading your troops and also doing influence management across multiple stakeholders in an organization, what is it that you have to do in order to, number one, prevent conflict? Or do you think realistically, can you actually prevent conflict? And secondly, if you do handle it, do you try to resolve it or try to just manage it? If, uh, we were talking briefly before the show about the temperature in Alaska. And uh, I grew up in Fairbanks where it can easily exceed 90 degrees on a summer day, but in the winter it gets cold. And if you've walked on ice, you understand that if there's no friction, there's no motion. Uh, or you fall down and uh, hurt yourself. So um, there is inevitably going to be some friction. Or I like uh, Bryson's analogy with a sports team. I had an opportunity to um, address a CIO conference earlier this spring. And the uh, for me, the, the similarities to a sports team where you have a number of, particularly in the enterprise, a number of very high performers that made their mark in a particular agency or perhaps a department or a division of a company and have uh, gained the attention of the enterprise and, and been asked to come up and help, um, you end up with a collection of very high performers who used to be the shining star in their section, and now they have to share the spotlight. And human nature makes that uh, an unpleasant occurrence. So um, you certainly don't want to try and clamp down every instance of uh, conflict because I think then you clamp down every instance of the innovation and the creativity that we desperately need. So I would imagine it's more of a, a managing process for me, and managing for me starts with laying down a set of ground rules on, on how we treat each other. Uh, if conflict runs unabated, um, it'll have a similar effect to to uh, clamping down on and trying to avoid all conflict. Michelle, you have spent your quite a bit of your career in this space, and you're listening to the practitioners who live with mm-hmm. it every day, and they they are kind of going about addressing it as it as if it's business as usual. But do you think, based on what the importance has been placed on uh, the existence of impact and how it in, in turn impacts the organization, there has to be a conscious formal effort to handle it perfectly or close to uh, perfectly? Or is it just that we could keep going doing what we are doing all along? This is a great question. I think a lot of times in organizations we focus on things that seem to be objectively important. We focus on the bottom line. We focus on strategy, technology, when in fact conflict is at the core of organizational life, as my colleagues have 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 discussed, and in that respect, it's part of the system itself. It's not just about the individual employees. It's about how is the organization structured, what are leaders doing to, in their own behavior to signal their values and their beliefs about conflict. It has to do with um, the structure of the organization um, and organizations that diagnose their own conflict cultures in, in the parlance that we use as academics uh, are going to be much better able to to design systems to manage conflict effectively. Um, in a paper that we have that's uh, coming out in the Journal of Applied Psychology, we show that 
For example, what the leader does, their own conflict resolution style, has a really dramatic effect on the culture that develops surrounding conflict management. So in other words, it's not just an individual problem. It's not about employees. It's about the whole system. Just like think about a parent. You know, a parent models certain styles. They reward and punish certain behaviors. They socialize their children to adopt certain ways of interacting uh, with each other. I can attest as a, as a parent. Uh, and leaders do the same thing with respect to conflict. Some leaders are really conflict avoidant. They really find it scary, and they send strong signals to their employees that conflicts would be suppressed. Uh, they create what we call conflict avoidant cultures that have, as my colleagues have, have mentioned, they actually have a really negative impact on the bottom line in some of the research that we've done in terms of creativity of whole units, not just teams, but units and, and, and organizations. Um, some, lawyer, uh, some leaders uh, address conflict in a very competitive and dominating way. Uh, and they a signal to employees that truth wins, that they want people to have overt power struggles. And, and again, the leader's own behaviors really send a strong signal to what cultures uh, are appropriate. And, and still other leaders send strong signals that conflict should be um, something that's approached in a positive metaphor in, in terms of open discussions and, and allowing for dissenting opinions in a trusting atmosphere to be discussed and, and harnessed for, um, for creativity. So I think the first thing that, that we need to recognize is that conflict is not just about the individual employees, it's about the entire system and how it's structured. And, and leaders need to first look at themselves, you know, how have they been socialized to manage conflict, what are their own attitudes about it, what are they suggesting through their own behaviors that's impacting their, not just, you know, their individual employees, but the entire unit uh, as a whole. Now, with that said, Bryson, if you were to be asked a question in a closed room that, okay, what are the different ways you try to handle conflicts and which ones do you think are more effective than others? And what are those additional art forms of managing on resolving conflict are you still trying to master? What would your answer be? Sure. So, I mean, I think for conflict, for me, the first step with um, getting your team aligned around it is to make it not so taboo. I think a lot of teams and a lot of organizations, um, everybody's looking for everything to be peaceful and calm, and we want to try to drive conflict out of the organization, and we want everything to appear to be happy and, and great, and that's sometimes how organizations will, will, will say, oh, look, everything's great, everybody's happy here, there's no infighting, we don't have any politics, and there's no, there's no conflict. And um, so what I try to say is, no, conflict is fantastic. We want conflict. Um, especially in the technology fields, we want really good, healthy, collegiate debates. We, I don't want um, you know, people to feel like conflict is a bad thing. In fact, I've got a sign that hangs on my office door that says, if one of you has a yes man working for you, one of you is redundant. Don't be redundant. So you know, I'm not looking for everybody to just walk in here and agree with me. Um, and I don't want anybody else to feel like they've got to walk into anybody's office or cube or, or a meeting and agree, uh, because we're not going to get the best answer. Uh, the beauty of having a diverse workforce um, is getting ideas and getting opinions from a wide range of people. Um, and if you don't leverage the diversity you have in your workforce uh, by allowing that conflict to be put out into the open and to not make it taboo and make it be accepted and say, look, I encourage conflict. I mean, obviously, we can't be throwing chairs at each other, but conflict is good, and I welcome it, and it's healthy, and everybody should realize that, that it's a good thing. 
it starts to grow into the culture that, you know, oh, wow, this is being encouraged, management supports it, we have to do it in the right way, but we don't have to try to do it in secret, nobody's going to get in trouble for it, and a lot of the bad behavior that sometimes creeps into conflict, if it's not managed well, I've found kind of goes away if it's known that from the very top, it's really being encouraged that good, healthy debate and disagreements are put out on the table and that we have fun with them and that we realize that technology is a very religious experience. And there's a lot of very religious beliefs that people bring into a technical organization. And, you know, a lot of those merits are all very good, and, and there's really usually five, six great ways to solve any given problem. Um, and, and our job as leaders is to help the teams realize that, that vetting out those five ideas, finding the best nuggets from all of them, and then assembling a, a unique new way of approaching a solution is really how we add incremental value to the organization. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but I think it's important that from the very top, we really openly uh, support good collegiate conflict within the organization. So, Pat, one is, I mean, I agree with Bradson's comments that if there is no conflict, there is no growth. And, in fact, you gave a very good analogy about no friction, that means no movement. Question is that how would you know that if you fostered conflict in an organization, you welcomed conflict, how much of that is truly something which is in the best interest of organizational growth or an individual's personal agenda? Which is, which is, they put their agenda, uh, in front of the organizational agenda. How do you, how do you diagnose something like that? I, uh, I, I appreciate, uh, both Michelle and Bryson's comments. And Michelle nailed it when she said modeling and culture, uh, framework in my experience in, in terms of what we've done here in our organization. Also the religious experience. I've, I've been using the term zealotry to describe mm-hmm. the passion that arrives, uh, with IT. But the, the approach has been when I have a, a leader that um, comes into my office distressed about uh, some conflict that's gotten out of hand, uh, one of the, the things I remind them is a, a Hebrew proverb that uh, states that the stable is clean where there is no ox, but there is great increase by the strength thereof. And uh, the application I'm trying to have them consider is every once in a while you have to get the shovel out. Hmm. Uh, for some of the high performers, but you have to draw the line when the ox starts goring the other animals. And uh, we we simply, in order to to have a this delicate dance between conflict for the good of the order and uh, conflict that goes too far, those ground rules that I mentioned earlier on uh, have to be established. And when somebody steps over the line, the rest of the crew has to see that there are consequences to that, uh, pre, uh, um, pre-described consequences, not somebody flying off the handle and overreacting. And, uh, and that can be very powerful. We adopted a curriculum from an outfit called uh, Character First as a method of providing for us a common vocabulary. I think, Michelle, you mentioned it very well. People have uh, very different means of dealing with conflict, and we have to try to bring everybody to some sort of, not a norm certainly, but to some sort of uh, productive uh, response to the inevitable conflict. And the way I've found very helpful to accomplish that is to adopt 
a common vocabulary that the leadership can then model and uh, be consistent. And it takes, frankly, uh, more than just a few months to make this work. There are a lot of skeptics in the workplace who've been uh, trampled on by unskillful leaders in the past, and uh, others embrace it right away. But I've seen great success in in that approach, really, modeling and uh, finding a curriculum you can follow that uh, establishes the ground rules. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And when we come back, Michelle, question for you will be that while at the top 30,000 feet view or maybe 10,000 or 5,000 feet view level, the leader would say, okay, I've fostered conflict. People are fighting with each other, maybe in a healthy way. And then not every place or not every conflict is my responsibility because they'll figure it out. Now, coming down to those actual trenches, people may start using different ways to handle that conflict. It could be by avoiding it. It could be by creating competition that would be, uh, or it could be where people would accommodate one person would accommodate uh, what the other person says. OK, so do you do whatever you want to do or they would compromise or in the best possible outcome, they would collaborate. If you do not have that uh, idea what's happening in the trenches, do you think many of the say 90 percent of the conflicts which are happening in the trenches may not be then handled properly? And if that's the case, would it not have a negative impact? So what do you do for a leader at the top to have a very strong grip wine and or some sort of a feedback so that any and every conflict that's happening at the, at the lowermost level in the organization is also being uh, the, the, the leader is being kept is being uh, given an input so as to what's happening. So let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Michelle, people would have different ways of handling conflict, but they're in trenches fostering is happening at the topmost level. How do you connect the dots so that the leader is always in the know of what's happening? This is a great question. And I think 
I would say there's two different, uh, very uh, complementary mechanisms that need to be put in place, and one has to do with what Pat mentioned, which is setting up a standard set of uh, procedures and vocabularies and practices training around issues of conflict, you know, rather than thinking about it as a side issue or wanting to avoid it, that tackling it head-on and creating cultures that match the strategy of the organization that are aligned with the strategy uh, around issues of conflict. Um, and leaders, like we said, they, have their, they need to model these behaviors uh, repeatedly, consistently, um, including not just their own how they're managing conflict, but um, other personality and behavioral aspects, like, for example, self-control. Um, leaders who model temperance and, and self-control signal strong, strongly to their employees that in the context of everyday conflict, we need to take a breath. We need to step back. Um, conflict can quickly escalate in the uh, very um, uh, stressful context of organizational life, and the more that we sort of uh, are told, you know, to, to really kind of think and, and have empathy, have compassion for other people, again, modeled by, by the leaders, then uh, trickles down to the everyday level of how people make sense of other people's behavior. So creating cultures around conflict is very important. And also equally important is to be there in the trenches and observing what's happening and, and making sure that um, one is not just uh, scared of dealing with uh, conflict um, on a daily basis with employees. I think in the United States in particular, uh, leaders um, believe that conflict should be kind of discussed among their employees. Um, in other countries like Japan, it's more con um, common for uh, managers to get more involved in mediating everyday conflicts. So I think that it's important that leaders are in the trenches and are diagnosing not just is conflict occurring, but importantly, what type of conflict is happening. Conflicts come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, in the science of conflict, um, we differentiate, for example, conflict over the task, um, what um, Pat and Bryson have been describing as conflict over the ideas and opinions. That's very different than conflicts over relationships. That is more in, you know, related to personalities and personal clashes or even power conflict, conflict over influence and control. So leaders need to, on a daily basis in the trenches, be diagnosing what kind of conflicts are happening. Um, task conflict is, as, as my colleagues mentioned, it can be very good for creating uh, diverse uh, solutions that are innovative, but also it's not always good. I mean, there's a lot of research on task conflict, and it shows that it's, it really depends on the situational context. If you're, if you're performing a very uh, non-routine, difficult task, conflict can be very good when it relates to task conflict. But if it's a very routine task, something that's sort of standard, having a lot of task conflict is not very good. Um, so in short, being in the trenches, diagnosing the type of conflict that's happening and how appropriate that conflict is for the situation that employees are in is an important job that leaders need to really be explicit and, 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 and discussing with their teams. Now, Pat, do you think you need to be the only Hercules in the group for you to handle every possible conflict, being the know of everything, or would you rather build leaders within your organization who kind of almost clone you or emulate you or even do better than you in terms of handling conflict? What, what do you think is the best way to handle across organizations uh, having a conflict dashboard where everybody's aware who's supposed to be aware and then better handle it than you yourself doing it just because you're the top guy? That's a uh... That's a great question. Again, uh, I found it very useful to, in, a, in an engagement, early on in an engagement, to listen a great deal and to inventory the skill sets and the proclivities, really, that uh, the folks on staff or if I'd brought 
uh, some folks in on a leadership team with me to be aware of, of where their strengths lie. And then we have uh, divided up our customer base and uh, key members of our staff that may be uh, creating challenges. And uh, we patrol the fences together. And uh, we not only patrol the fences ourselves, but we also create, this is a strategy that's happened somewhat organically, um, alliances in our customer organizations where at the conclusion of a meeting or if we've delivered on something uh, and uh, um, it's the right time, we ask if, if you hear if you hear any drums in the jungle and, and uh, there's a, a coming attack or uh, if someone's getting ready to uh, push the launch button uh, on something that we're doing to them, we really are very interested in, in knowing about that so that we can uh, remediate so that we can get better. And then we're very careful that when we get that kind of intelligence, not to descend on uh, the, the malcontent and make an example. We, we genuinely uh, walk the talk. We show up uh, contritely. Uh, we understand that we failed to deliver. It's caused uh, some trouble for you. How can we do better? If indeed we have. If, on the other hand, we have some staff members who have been working very hard, very responsive, and they're simply uh, have somebody chewing on their leg, so to speak, uh, because that's their their process. Then we respond in the in the alternative way, not uh, loud and emotionally, but firmly um, uh, identifying that that's suboptimal behavior, so to speak. And uh, we uh, this, this balance between um, taking all the blame and uh, and taking all the credit. Neither are appropriate. Brian, Bryson, do you think there's an implied expectation by the workers in the trenches or even the middle management that whenever a conflict occurs, you show up or you show your presence and or inclusion in that discussion in some form or fashion? No, I don't think that there's that expectation. I mean, I think that um, I, I think back to what Michelle is saying, I think she's spot on with with the we need to be in the trenches. Um Sometimes we need to be in the trenches because we need to encourage the conflict to get out on the table. Um, I think what ends up uh, really causing the, the, the real negative output of conflict is when somebody has a, an idea or an opinion but is, is, is kind of maybe too shy or not the, 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 the loudest type A in the room, can't get their opinion expressed, leaves that meeting or that, that, um, yeah, leaves that meeting just kind of feeling very dejected because they didn't get an opportunity, in their view, to get their opinion out on the table, and then that kind of uh, festers. Um, and so, you know, re- sometimes we need to be in the trenches just to make sure that all of those voices are getting heard and that, that the uh, the opinions are truly getting out on the table. So we do need to be engaged enough with our teams to know what every individual, you know, is thinking to ensure that all of that is getting put into the table. Um, but I think as you build the right culture where you encourage everybody to be fishing for everybody else's ideas, and if there is somebody at the meeting that's being quiet, that there's an opportunity for everybody to stop and talk and, and make sure that you know, they're, they're fishing it out of you know, the, the quiet guy or quiet gal in the corner that says, well, hold on, you know, what does Sally think? Um, you know, what does John think? Let's make sure we're hearing it all. And when you do that, then you don't need to be um, at every conflict, because conflict should be, in a good way, part of everything that we do, because that's really why we're here. If we're all just coming to work to agree with each other, then we all really don't need to be to be here. So 
Um, I don't think there's an expectation that we need to always be there, but I do think there is that expectation that we are really, really embedded in the trenches with the teams to make sure that we are, um, you know, pulling on the right fishing poles and the fishing lines to get the right ideas pulled out of the table. So, Michelle, if we are to start with, uh, say, a conflict occurs, what's the gut reaction of a leader? Is it an intrusion? Is it another item which I did not expect coming or an opportunity? Yeah, you know, I think it varies tremendously um, in terms of individuals, how they think about conflict. What are their metaphors? Uh, you know, earlier um, Bryson and Pat were talking about the sort of football conflict, sports metaphor, which is um, – uh, it could be a healthy metaphor for conflict. I think people have different metaphors for how they view conflict when they enter the organizational door. Um, we have some evidence for this, that p- how people's households, when they're growing up, manage conflict has a big influence on how leaders think about conflict and the cultures they create. So it's it's really something that, you know, people come to organizational life with very different attitudes about conflict. And this is where um, the idea of creating, uh, as Pat said, having a common vocabulary, getting people together around what do we, how do we want to define conflict in this organization? How, what metaphor do we have for conflict and how we as an organization want to handle it? Because the reality is that left undiscussed, the people have a wide range of how they view it, and it's the, the idiosyncrasy of that will play out in, in all sorts of ways that is, uh, makes for a lot of variability in how teams are approaching it. So coming together to define actively and, and deciding together um, what, how do we want to define it and then explicating the, those definitions and metaphors to employees who also come to the organization with a lot of different metaphors for conflict um, is one way to start um, helping to homogenize you know, and, and approaching it in a systematic way. And I just want to mention that I think, like Bryson mentioned, I think it's you know, unrealistic that managers can be there on a day-to-day basis in in, in managing all conflicts, what, what they can do is create climates and cultures uh, for mutual respect, for fairness, um, for um, having self-control that will last um, and be uh, something that is constantly primed and, and thought about um, among employees. And, and I do think in, in addition to creating these cultures and climates, having training uh, for employees around conflict management is really critical. Um, and I think that that is then, again, not just aligning them on the metaphors for conflict, but also giving them the tools and, and, and simulations experiences where they have a safe place to, um, to, to try out ways that they can com- manage conflict that they haven't been able to do in other contexts. Um, so I think it's about creating cultures, but also providing training and tools for people who, um, who might have really uh, negative attitudes about conflict for good reasons from, from their histories and their past. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Pat, question for you will be is that people who are actually in that particular conflict, who are involved in that conflict, they may or may not have relationship with the leader or may not have uh, an expectation that you'll come down and try to help. Whereas if you get to know about it or you tell to your direct report, go and deal with it, those people could have done much better between themselves versus somebody coming and trying to be a mediator. So what are the signs that you need mediation or you need external help and or these guys can just handle it themselves? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology. 
that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Pat, very quickly, people may not know you or may not have a relationship with you, so they may not welcome truly anyone coming and trying to help them resolve a conflict. How do you know whether you should, you know, get in uh, and try to help and or have somebody go in or have this being resolved amicably between the parties who are indeed having the conflict? Uh, Volume, sometimes. uh, The sound of furniture strike in the wall. Um, it, it has to vary. I, I can't give you a, a flat uh, always in this case, uh, and which is one of the reasons why we spend time in our leadership team talking to each other about what is appropriate. And for one of my leaders who is very adept at handling and, and nurturing, um, it's not a problem. And there's, there are others that I explicitly state when it gets to this place, when people are disrespecting each other and you feel that it's unraveling the fabric of the team, that's the time to call a timeout and I can be available to you. But even when you come into that room, um, how you walk into the room, where you sit at the table, all those are, are subtle clues. We also, because self-awareness, uh, as Michelle mentioned, is such a challenge in these interpersonal relationships, depending on how folks grew up, we, we generally have been circulating a, a book uh, distributed by the Arbinger Institute called uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. Mm. It's a very small book. It uses vignettes, which are an effective way to break through uh, some of the shells that folks towed around. And we found it um, uh, very effective. I've had people in my office in tears uh, grateful that they were given a glimpse into how they were treating other people. If you can find little pearls like that that work in your culture, I think those are invaluable. Bryson, do you think a relationship with those individuals has an impact on how effectively you will resolve, manage, or even harness that conflict? I I think people want to be listened to and people want to be heard. Uh, I don't think everybody comes and expects that they're always the ones that are going to have the right answer or even that their idea is the one that's going to lead the day. But I think what people do expect is that their ideas are going to be listened to, taken seriously, and that they're going to be respected. Um, and so that does come from relationships, right? If, you're, if your teams and, in, and, and within your team, so not just the relationships that I have with my teams, but the relationships that my teams have with each other, if those are good, strong relationships where people can go and have that debate and then go grab a bite to eat together, um, or even go 
you know, grab a drink after work or whatever, those sorts of kind of relationship-building moments, you start to really build a bond where you, you do feel like your ideas are being listened to, that you're being respected as an individual and for what you're contributing. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, that's what really goes a long way towards how people are going to react to that. So, Michelle, the goal here is to have these CIOs take a two-week vacation and not be bothered about what's happening, right, <laughs> behind what, what they leave behind. So with that intent, what do you think sitting outside of that, that particular uh, organization or any set of organizations, what, are they, what do you expect these people to do in terms of the time that they spend on it? And the verbs that we all along discussed during the show is resolve or manage with respect to conflict. We did not talk about harnessing yet. Yeah, I think, you know, um, as we've been discussing, uh, Pat and Bryson, that the first, key, the first uh, question has to do with one's own attitude. The, you know, looking into your own heart and, and, and your own mind about how do you think about conflict and what are you sending, what signals are you sending. It starts really with self-awareness, as, as everyone has been saying. And I think um, that's a very important first step because a lot of us have been taught to avoid conflict and not think about it. And in an organizational life, um, not to think it's that important, that there's many other important things that people need to be doing when it's really, um, it's inevitable. It's, there's not a question of whether there will be conflict. It's really just a question of how do we manage it. Um, and I think the leader having a very, um, uh, a, a very acute ability to diagnose the types of conflicts, the sources of those conflicts. They come in all shapes and sizes. They might be a function of a feeling of injustice, um, as was mentioned. They might be a function of miscommunications, um, of scarcity of resources. And it's a really important to kind of think about what exactly is causing the conflict and, 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 and what kind of conflict is arising. Um, and so to be really um, aware of, of not only what one is modeling, but also what's happening on the ground, because conflict is very multidimensional. Um, I think that, as was mentioned, you know, people react to conflict, you know, you know when we're, we feel we have a, a difference with someone else, it's not comfortable. It's, it's really not a comfortable state of being. And, you know, the manager's job is to help people to move from, what they want, what their positions are, to really understanding what are their underlying interests, you know, what are their real, true underlying priorities, get past the reactivity that we have when someone disagrees with us and get at really what are our true preferences. And so that requires a lot of discussion and open dialogue to really understand truly what are people's preferences versus their positions. So I think with both creating the culture and also giving people training and identifying those uh, preferences is really what will help to create a sustainable um, system to make conflict, like you said, not just managed but resolved in the long term, not just a quick fix, but something where people can have the structures and the training to understand on a continual basis how to manage it. Now, uh, Pat, question for you is that what kind of leakage and or costs uh, that we are incurring without us knowing when conflict is not healthy, it is not being harnessed, and it is festering. But, uh, when, I, when I first came to this position, was in, invited to, to serve in this capacity. Uh, someone glibly mentioned to me that, uh, that uh, CIO stands for career is over. <laughs> and uh, we see examples all over the U.S. Um, where uh, CIO longevity is very short-lived, 
And I think it's partly because of the focus at the enterprise level on cost savings, on this idea that consolidation is going to automatically uh, save a lot of money for the organization in IT. And uh, it's valuable, it's invaluable to protect those alliances that you can create for shared infrastructure, shared applications, uh, shared staff. The cost when those fall apart, which is common, is immense. Uh, you spend a year on a project trying to uh, get to one email system or to uh, one flavor of network or to one uh, ERP application, years indeed. And uh, key relationships between department heads can uh, tank that whole effort, and that can be anywhere from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. It's it's tragic. So, Bryson, when you try to look at uh, the different areas uh, with respect to conflict management, what have you seen are the type of strategies somebody could employ in your role when they're coming new into an organization? So they don't have relationships, they don't have influence, they are just going to learn the ropes. And so that they can do the best with the conflict that exists and kind of set a good stage so that every conflict that happens there literally is a positive type of conflict which can be harnessed for organizational benefit. I think coming into a new role, um, you know, you've got the best opportunity to to do this because when you come in, you 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 spend your time. Well, hopefully you spend your time. I spend my time, you know, meeting with my team, meeting with everybody in the organization, and really listening. I mean, and if you really spend that that your first, you know, days, weeks, months on the job, really listening, um, and really trying to understand all of the points of view, um, then you can, you know, with you know, bring the the groups back together, and you'll know who you need to pick out and who you need to push to make sure that what you've heard is put out onto the table. Um, and so, and I think a lot of times what I've seen is that people are caught off guard by that. They're not expecting that a new leader is going to come into the organization and and listen to what they have to say, and then bring the two people that have said something completely different together to say, hey. You know, I heard two completely different things from both of you. Let's talk through this. Because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of merit to what both of you are saying, but, you know, we've got to, you know, gel together as a team and as an organization and pick something and move forward. Um, and when you just call it out and put it right on the table and bring them together um, and, and say, hey, the three of us are going to go grab lunch and we're going to talk about this, um, it, it, you start to build that kind of unique culture in an organization that might not have existed. But, you know, but look, don't, don't lose sight of those first moments. And if you've been there for a long time, then just start Monday. Just walk into the office Monday, pretend it's a new thing, and say, you know what, this week I'm going to meet with all of my teams, and I'm going to just talk to them like I'm not really sure what's going on, and I'm really going to listen. Um, and you'll be amazed at what you pick up and learn and then how you can turn that to you know, your advantage when you're trying to resolve conflict, which you may not even know exists. Now, with that said, Michelle, do you think there is an art to uncover the latent conflict or something which actually was verbalized in the past? People actually spoke about it, and, and whether it was not handled properly or for whatever other reason, it was put aside. The conflict still was there, but it was under the surface. So if new people are coming in, it may not be even discussed, but that might be causing the leakage and or costs. Yeah, this What's, is a fantastic question. Um, you know, I think that often it's a case when people 
don't see any overt conflict, you know, they make a mistake that in assuming it doesn't exist. And in fact, suppressed conflict um, can be much more dangerous um, if, than overt on the, you know, on the table conflict. Um, and I think the rule of thumb is that if you don't see a lot of conflict happening, you can probably assume something's going on. <laughs> that it's, like we said, conflict is inevitable and it, it, it's a part of organizational life. And so the first question is, am I seeing people openly discuss conflict? And if, you, if it's not happening, then you can bet your bottom dollar that there's some suppressed conflict. Um, and suppressed conflict really, um, as I mentioned, we have evidence that shows that it really has negative impact on organizational level outcomes, not just for individuals' health um, and well-being, but also for bottom line um, types of outcomes like creativity of, 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 un- of entire units, of entire branches. And so it's very important to not um, look out you know, in your uh, in the shop floor or in the in, in in the boardroom, and see that people seem to be smiling, and when they in fact are seething underneath, um, and that kind of conflict that comes from avoidance, that uh, comes from these norms that say it's not okay to talk about conflict, can be very devastating, uh, have very devastating consequences, as Bryson was talking about earlier. So I think that the rule of thumb is that if if, if it doesn't look like there's a lot of conflict going on, that it could be a mistake to really assume that that's the case. And that means that one has to be a conflict investigator, talk to people, listen to people, uh, as my colleagues were saying, to find out what's really happening out there. Um, Why are people smiling when they're seething? Uh, How is this affecting um, backstabbing that's happening behind the scenes, kind of passive-aggressive type of behavior? Um, And that's a very critical skill of managers. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, uh, Pat, let's talk about the shade of gray here. So it's either a lot of fighting, which is obvious, so you can go deal with it, or what Michelle said when everybody's smiling, and we know we, we have an intervention plan. But when you are working with an organization, especially when you're coming in, and or you might be there, but still there are certain uh, types of conflict or certain number of conflicts which are latent, or they are purposely not surfaced, but they still linger. That's the one which could be causing the leakage. And if you do not address them, maybe they become uh, worse. So how would you address those? How would you, number one, uncover those? What would be your strategies? And then, of course, you can address them once you uncover them. So let's talk more about this. When we come back, please sit here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. 
You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So Shades of Grey. And that's where, Pat, we have to look at is that there might be conflict which you is obvious, so you're handling it. And uh, then there is other latent one which you, which you may not know. So number one priority perhaps could be to uncover some of those, evaluate for what kind of impact they could have, and then start addressing. But what's that style or the creativity that you can use to uncover when nobody else is trying to uncover? I, I, um, I love the uh, ad campaign for... Um the medical community that uh, celebrates uh, questions are the answer. Uh, indeed, uh, there will be some time spent for any new leader in an organization that must artfully and intently, um, using all the skill you have that you've brought to the table, try and detect where things just don't add up. Ultimately, it will become obvious. Uh, the sooner you discover it, the better. Sometimes things do go undetected, but... Um, this idea of patrolling the fences that I mentioned, um, having a core team that is up to speed on exactly what the intent is, that you are trying to discover conflict and gems, uh, undiscovered gems out there that you can apply to the work. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we talk about a lot about relationships, um, but we've been careful to try and let our folks know, not only when we ask questions, but after we digest it and create a vision for the organization that, Everything we do has to create value for money, and that's what our customers expect. And we, we rally around that expectation so that when there is a conflict that arises, we can hold it up against that that uh, template, so to speak, and say this is not creating value for money. And therefore, as the call it a benevolent dictatorship, whatever you will, mm-hmm. as the leader, I have to uh, intervene here. So uh, I think being aware, questioning, not being willing to see something that just doesn't quite add up and leave it alone, but to uh, to uh, delve into it rather than ignore it. Now, one thing which uh, people would always be scared of is that if you had conflicts and there comes a crisis, what is going to be the outcome and how are these people going to play out? So, Bryson, in your view, what actually happens? What have you seen happening? I think, you know, what's amazing in an organization is how a crisis really rallies the team. Um, and everybody is able to really park those opinions and those feelings. Um, you know, and we really can then focus in on um, the, the the results and getting whatever that crisis is handled. Um, I, certainly in the weather business, we, we are faced with, you know, uh, um, crises that, that occur on a regular basis. You know, we've got uh, Hurricane Isaac that's getting ready to, you know, kind of start to, to pose a possible threat to uh, to Florida and southeastern United States, and we're dealing with computer models that are in conflict with each other, and now the, the meteorologists um, now have to have conflict within their own teams to figure out which of those computer models we're going to go with and how do we resolve the conflict that we have that, not just within the organization, but we have the added fun of having computers in conflict. So, um, but but I tell you, when you've got that hurricane bearing down and people's lives are at risk, um, and certainly not everybody works in a you know in an environment where you're you're dealing with people's lives, but those types of crises really rally a team. And all of a sudden, those opinions, 
um, and that kind of personal baggage is parked at the door, and people really rally around that objective. And so I think one of our tricks as a leader is to figure out what causes that, and, and certainly not to introduce artificial crises, but certainly for us to figure out how we harness the value that comes from those moments um, and figure out how to instill, if not instill, at least have our teams reflect on what really caused us to be so successful during those times. Michelle, now you're an expert in the psychology of human, uh, you know, the way they would handle conflict, etc. So what Bryson just said, how would you analyze and provide uh, an answer of what may be going on at the time of a crisis? I, I would say that he is a, he's a psychologist himself and in his analysis. Actually, there's a, quite a bit of evidence in, in the psychology field and in the organizational sciences that having some kind of crisis where in a sense, what it does, it creates a goal, a shared goal that teams can all rally around. And when there is no crisis or no uh, kind of shared goal, then that does lead to people focusing on their own individual goals, selfish motivation and competitive motivation. So what's really happening in these contexts excuse me, of crisis is that it's creating a shared vision, a shared goal that people might not always have in an everyday context. I think it's true that we don't want to arbitrarily create crises, um, but we might want to, under circumstances where we don't have crises, to try to really create the same processes that are activated in those contexts, which is really shared vision, shared goals, what people call in, in the psychology field superordinate goals that, that bring people together, rally, help people to rally around something they can all buy into, and that helps, as, as was said by Bryson, that, to help people to minimize their uh, things that would normally bother them on a daily basis. So that, that's a really a very interesting comment, and it's backed up by a lot of research in, in my field. Uh, Pat, if you were to take the contrarian view, that means that a leader could be seen as a weak leader if they're not able to rally the troops when there is no crisis, and that's why they get into the conflict. Right. Well, I, mean, I mentioned earlier that uh, this idea of, um, of making clear what the goals are, what the value for money proposition is for the customers, and trying to relate that to each individual appropriately is is a is a daunting uh, daunting challenge. Uh, it's always interesting to me uh, to look at this uh, discipline, uh, information technology, and learn that so many of us do a very poor job of providing information to our customers. In uh, we, we all know that people want to know uh, what they want to know when they want to know it. And uh, our customers at the enterprise are no different. And uh, if we fail to show them what the value is, uh, we fail. We, we did something unprecedented. We, we called all of our customers and their financial backers into the uh, meeting room last year and said, what are your priorities? You're, you're paying for our services. What would you like us to do? And they gave us uh, five top priorities, and we returned to them uh, six weeks later with a reorganization of our division that demonstrated how the new division would be focused on their priorities. That, that was unprecedented. That had not happened before, and I was shocked. It seemed to me so, so natural, so organic. So. And it's created a great deal of um, cohesion in the group. It's created uh, uh, a lot less conflict with our customers as we hold up this shared vision, as uh, Michelle said, of these five top priorities as a, as a template. I, I think that is job one because you can't always count on a great crisis when you need one. <laughs> on behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to 
thank you, Bryson, Patrick, and Michelle. I'm I'm sure we can talk about this topic all day. You can take a day off. We can go to a retreat <laughs> and talk about how we harness conflict for organizational benefit. However, whatever we discussed today, it looks like that conflict indeed is manageable if treated the right way. You can get it to give you the benefit that you're looking for, and it will take a good set of leaders and their direct reports to make sure that an organization truly makes the best out of each of the conflict that might be happening across the organization. Thank you so much again. Thanks. Now, uh, if you have any questions or views, please send us to questions at ciotalkradio.com. That is questions at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sanjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy.